Sing from wrath and make me good. Not the length of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever all could never sin atone. Thou must save and thou If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the seats uh, in front of you or underneath you, and you can go ahead and find the word there. Psalm 46 is our passage. So we finished Joshua, and we've moved in to the Psalms. We're going to do one Psalm, and then we're going to do Isaiah until after Christmas. So be ready for some serious time in Isaiah, because... It's a wonderful passages, uh, collection of passages, and the prophet Isaiah is quite interesting, um, but full of imagery and just a fascinating study. I've been studying it as we've gone. But 46 is a psalm about fear and refuge. And we know a lot about fear, don't we? All of us who have looked on the news lately, nothing but fear. Fear and more fear. It's a tool, but it's also a weapon. It's a, it's a tool used by Satan to scare us, to keep us from doing what we ought. It's a tool used by the government to get us to do what they want us to do. It's a tool or a weapon used by parents to get their children to be obedient. Have you ever used fear to get your way? If you don't do this, child, you may not live to see tomorrow. Clean your room or else there will be dire consequences. Come over here so I can spank your bottom, right? We use fear, and so fear is a good motivator. In fact, it's also good because fear makes me jump in front of my children when something dangerous is coming towards them. Fear causes me to not jump off of a building or do risky things. And so fear is also beneficial, and what we have is that fear motivates us. It's a motivator. So the, the emotion of fear is in, a, in and of itself not bad. It's just our perspective of it, and we're going to look at it. And actions motivated by, by fear seldom are ideal. Seldom are, is it ideal to be motivated by fear. And that's why I find this passage so appropriate. Martin Luther, when he was 
working through this Reformation time frame. Remember, the Catholic Church or the medieval church had gone um, astray. They had made some decisions that were contrary to the Word of God, and they were really putting people into worse and worse of a situation. People were having to buy their way out of this purgatory that was invented by them in order for them to get saved. In fact, they were trying to make people pay for salvation. And they had all these things that they would do to get money. And one of them was the selling of... This this is not a time for hands. Put your hand down. No, we're not going to ask questions. So when we think about this, this, this indulgences, you could pay to have your family members, and that's what would happen. Well, Martin Luther said that's wrong. He said we are saved by faith and, and by grace through Christ alone, and the Reformation started. Well, guess what? Some people were very unhappy that their money scheme was being disrupted in Germany. And so Martin Luther was faced with a quite, a, quite a bit of resistance. And as he was facing this resistance, he would get depressed. You ever been depressed? You ever been afraid of the things around you? Imagine the power of the the Roman Catholic Church at that time. They were more powerful than most governments. And so they had control to burn people at the stake. They had control that they could take um, a monk, which was what he was, and destroy him. And he would get scared. And during that time, especially further on in the Reformation, he would write songs. And one of the songs he wrote was, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And he based that that song, that hymn, off of Psalm 46. Psalm 46 was basically the, the, um, the inspiration for that, song, that, that hymn. And so what, what Luther would do is he would sing this psalm when he was overwhelmed, when he was depressed, when things were becoming too much for him to bear. In fact, he was encouraged by his friends to sing the 46. He would be sitting there and he said, like, you'd be feeling overwhelmed. He'd grab his buddy. They'd lock arms together and they would sing the 46 together. In fact, after Luther passed away, the man that would go and, and lock arms with Luther was walking around, and there's a story of him hearing the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And he said to this young lady, this little child that was singing it, you have no idea how much comfort you are bringing me. Continue to sing that song. And throughout history, Psalm 46 has been a psalm of comfort for those who are oppressed, a, song, a psalm of comfort for those who are stressed and overwhelmed, and the world, the devils filled, overwhelming. And what we see in this psalm is there's a process of moving from fear to faith. So if you have your Bibles ready, Psalm 46, and you'll want to keep your Bible here open to this passage because it won't make a lot of sense because I'm basing everything that I'm saying from this passage and we're, ex- we're expositing this passage. So Psalm 46. For the choir director, a song of the sons of Korah, according to Almoth. Verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the sea. Though its waters roar, water roars and foams, and the mountains quake with its turmoil. Selah. There is a river. Its streams delight the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her. When the morning dawns, nations rage, kingdoms topple. The earth melts when he lifts his voice. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, see the works of the Lord, 
who brings devastation on the earth. He makes war cease throughout the earth. He shatters bows and cuts spears to pieces. He sets wagons ablaze. Stop fighting and know that I am God. Exalted among the nations. Exalted on the earth. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Let's pray. Father, as we approach this text, we are weak and needy. Lord, there's nothing good in us, only what you are, and you are great. Father, as we study this passage this morning, as we, we, we look at what you have done, that you are a refuge, a mighty fortress, Father, I pray that we find our refuge and our hope in you. Lord, I pray for each and every person in this congregation as they hear your word preached, that you would work in them new life, new and refreshed faith in you. God, we pray for those who are mourning the loss of our sister Verna today. Uh, Lord, what a sorrowful time, yet a time of rejoicing also because we know who she is with. God, we, we pray for your guidance and your wisdom this morning, also for this week. Help us to reflect on our week and also look forward to what you have done. God, be with us and guide us. In Jesus' beautiful name, all God's people said, Amen. So for the background of this psalm, we don't really get a lot. We don't know um, what David was doing, if it was David who wrote this, but we know it's for the choir director. A lot of times, a little subscript here in, in your Bibles, which is going to show it in italics, is a description of what's happening at the time. And so we don't really have a ton of information about it, um, but we do know that it's written for the choir director, and it's a song of the sons of Korah, which was a, a group of men who would sing. Um, in the temple, and it's according to Almoth, and I did a lot of research on that, and I couldn't find anything at all that was substantial, except to say that we don't really know what this is. So, we can be encouraged that we don't have to know the background of the psalm, but we do know that it's a song of Zion, or it's a, a song about Jerusalem, about God being with us. It's, it affirms the protection of the covenant people. It says the people of Israel are safe because God dwells in Jerusalem because of the worship that they were doing there to God, the one true God. In fact, they knew God as the warrior king. We talked a lot in Joshua about God as a refuge, as a, as a warrior, and also a place of safety. And he dwells with his people through the temple. And we notice that it is the people of God, and in this case, Israel, and of course, us, we are grafted in as new covenant people. We can see how fear can be transformed into faith. And this is really good news. How can your fear be transformed into faith? That's what we're, we're, we're studying in this passage today. Because we have a lot of fear. How many of you, this week even, were worried about something to do with COVID-19? How many of you, this week even... We're worried about something that's going on in Afghanistan and the political system there. How many of you were worried about government overreach or underreach or too little government or too big government? How many of you were worried about your finances? How many of you were worried about a, a interpersonal relationship that may have gone sour? I think everybody in this room has something that relates to fear. Fear causes, and we can respond in many ways. Instead of running to God as our refuge, we tend to run from God as our refuge. Or we turn to something else 
we find another safety net. We look for something to provide us with hope. This morning even, Judy and I were talking, and I told her I would tell everybody about her. Judy and I were talking, and she said, hey, uh, pick up your, lift up your hands. So everybody, I want you to do this. This is hands-on action. Lift up your hands. Now look at those hands. Are there any holes in those hands? You can't save yourself, right? You're not the Savior. I said, Judy, that's perfect for my sermon. Thanks for giving me that illustration. We cannot save ourselves. There's nothing inside of you that can provide you the safety that you need. You cannot find hope or refuge in yourself. So stop it. Stop looking to yourself for hope because it's not there. Stop looking at your incredible wisdom to provide you the way out. Stop looking for your ability to work hard to provide you with everything you need because guess what? The nations rage. The waters come. And we can have hope and we can not fear. We must not fear because God is with us. And we respond to His great power. So let's look at what this psalmist says. The first thing he says is we must not fear. Verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. And it fears that emotion. And I talked a little bit about fear as we introed in. But fear is an emotion that says something bad might happen. Uh, the future holds potential loss. Fear can be healthy when it motivates us the right way. But fear also pushes us to cling or run to or run from what is safe from our perspective. Fear pushes us to run to safety, or at least from our perspective. And this is where we get our crooked spectacles get involved, don't they? Our perspective is crooked and we risk being afraid for the wrong reasons or wrongly afraid. And this passage will orient you to trust, how to trust, how to have faith in who God is. Because the psalmist will say, we do not fear. So why do we not fear? The first thing we know is God is our refuge. What is a refuge? It's a stronghold. It's a place to hide. It's safety. It's comfort when storms of life drive us away. Do you know God like this? This is the question you need to ask. Do you know God is a refuge? We don't learn that God is a refuge by living in a peaceful, comfortable land. You will not find a refuge in God if you leave, have everything is unicorn and rainbows in your life. If everything is going well and it's lollipops and gumdrops, everything is happy, you will not need a refuge. But when life hits, when storms come, when COVID-19 ravages a nation, when wars come and wars go, when things get lost or fear happens, we have a refuge. And God's purpose in that fear and that loss and in that storm is for you to cling to Him more deeply, to chase Him more carefully, to not be afraid. So He is a refuge. He delivers us. And you don't know that refuge if you never cling to or run to Him. The second is He is our strength. God is our strength. That means He provides us with strength. Not only does He provide us with strength, He is a source of protection. The wonderful thing about faith is the weaker we are, the stronger God is, and the more glory He gets, the better it is. It's better to be weaker and have trust in who God is than it is for you to be strong on your own. This is not a pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps religion. 
And just a side note, don't turn to silly things to find your strength. Don't do weird stuff like dance with a, a weird special totem. Right? We don't have to do this kind of stuff. We don't need extra biblical things to find hope and safety and security and strength. All you need is God and his word. The second thing is helper. God is our helper. Now, this word for helper is the same word that is used for, for Eve, Ezer. Ezer is used in reference to Eve in the garden. God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will create a helper for him, a complement to him. And the definition I like to use for that is one who comes alongside and adds their strength. That's, that's the picture of marriage. When, when, when I'm weak and I'm crying in my house because something is just not going right, I, I'm at a loss with my children. Guess who comes alongside, adds her strength, and we walk this, faith, this, this life together? It's my wife. She adds strength and we go forward. Uh, it's, it's walking towards the celestial city, as John Bunyan likes to use, the language of Pilgrim's Progress. And we are walking together hand in hand. And if I fall down, she pulls me up. And if she falls down, I pull her up. And we're walking on this journey, sharing our strength with each other. And so this helper is who God is. He gives us strength, strength that is beyond us, beyond our own ability. We can't endure life by ourselves. He's a helper amidst the flood as a mighty fortress is our God. He's always found in times of trouble. This is a, a kind of a complicated verse to translate in your passage in your Bibles. If you have a different version, may say it slightly different. But essentially, the, the point is that God is truly there in times of trouble. He is consistently there in times of trouble. He is always to be found in times of trouble. You cannot lose God in times of trouble. He doesn't abandon you. You know, I have friends that when they get into something really bad, sometimes I really don't want to be their friend. I'm like, really? You did this again? You're calling me in the middle of the night because you got drunk and got stranded on the side of the road and you want me to get out of bed, put my family at risk and go out there to save you? And I don't really don't want to be your friend. But that's not God, is it? God is there. Even when we mess up for the thousandth time, He is a helper in times of trouble. And then verses 2 and 3 say, don't be afraid. Because God is our refuge, because He's our strength, because He's our helper, what do you got to be afraid of? What are you scared about? Why are you scared of COVID-19? Why are you scared about politics? He created the world. Why are you worried about that monster storm coming? God is our helper. God's covenantal people have nothing to fear from the chaos that surrounds us. Each of these items that are mentioned in verses 2 through 3 are indicators of chaos. Let's go ahead and read them. Therefore, we will not be afraid. Though the water, the earth trembles. Man, there's an earthquake. The mountains topple. The earthquake causes the mountain to fall into the ocean, into the depths of the sea, and then the sea begins to roar because of the storm, because the, the mountain fell into it and caused a, a tsunami, though its water roars and foams, and the mountains quake with its turmoil. Though the whole earth shakes, there's nothing to be afraid of. We don't have to fear geological events. But also, this is a metaphor for nations, for the pride of nations. The Bible often talks about the chaos of the ocean 
as being the nations raging against God because the Israelites were not really a seafaring people. And when they saw the wildness of the ocean, they said, that's, that's like the nations that are trying to fight against us. Nations who pride themselves on their own strength. So the question that you need to ask yourself from this, these first three verses is, what is your time of trouble? What is your fear? I want us to spend just a couple seconds examining your fears. Now, you may not call them fears because you're good Christians and you know that we shouldn't be afraid of anything, but you may call them worries or concerns, just like how Christians will say, oh, I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated. That frustrated is Christian for angry, okay? So same thing with fear. Fear or concern or worry is just Christian for fear. So think about yourself this week. Think about the fears you've had this week. What scared you? What worried you? Was it your homework? Was it maybe not having enough time in the day to get everything done? What caused you fear? Maybe it's not having any friends. Maybe you were afraid that you don't have a friend to play with on the playground this week. Maybe you're afraid last week. What are you afraid of? What causes you to fear? Maybe write it down and start comparing your fears week by week, day by day. What are you afraid of? Is it maybe that your, your spouse is not going in a good direction? Are you going to try to control it? How are you going to respond to your fears? Are you going to take things into your own hands? I'm going to make my wife holy, whether she likes it or not. I'm going to get my kids some friends, whether they like it or not. I am going to take this money from the cash register and put it in my pocket so I can pay for dinner tonight. I'm going to do things to get what I want. I will yell and scream and manipulate my way through life because I want to find refuge. It's silly, isn't it? We need to turn to our true refuge. We all have a refuge, a place you go for comfort and safety. Maybe your fear is a good fear. Maybe you are afraid of failing. That's a pretty healthy fear because it keeps you going. But maybe you're afraid that your wife is going to look at your search history and find out your, pornogra your pornography addiction. Maybe your fear is that you've been spending a lot of extra money and your husband may look at the bank statement and notice that you've been spending money on uh, little games on your phone. And he may say something to you about it. Maybe your fear is a bad fear. Where do you turn for refuge? Do you try to hide it, cover it up, make a bunch of spend, uh, expenditures, buy a bunch of nice things for your husband? Oh, yeah, yeah, I just wanted to buy you this sweet uh, game and this gift. And don't look at the bank statement right now. And, and, or maybe deleting your, your search history every 10 seconds and you become obsessive compulsive and hiding things. We have a safety. We have a place we go for comfort. There's a, a habit that we've developed. Do you run to your smartphone and social media when things become overwhelming? Do you watch silly TV shows? Do you turn the music up really loud and go in the gym and start throwing weights around? What do you do to find comfort and safety that is not going to our true refuge? I want you to evaluate yourself this week because the psalmist will turn to why we don't need to fear. This is the second point, because God is with us. But he doesn't just say, hey, don't be afraid. God is with you. He doesn't do that. He continues. He says, let me, show, let me paint you a picture. 
Remember that storm that was happening in verse 3. The water roars and foams. The mountains quake. And then verse 4, there is a river. That should cause us to pause for a second. What? The, a river? I'm just, I'm, this ocean is overflowing over here. And you're talking about a river. And what does this river do? It, it streams delight the city of God. The river pleases the city of God. The the river brings joy to the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. The picture of God with us. Slowly and surely we get this image, and it's contrasting to the image from before. The opposite of fear is peace. Pure peace. We have a poetic description of God's presence because He provides for spiritual sustenance. God is within her. She will not be toppled. This is talking about the city. God will help her when the morning dawns. So even though the world is chaotic and it seems like it's a crazy place, God is with His people. He says, the Most High. This is God as the exalted ruler of the universe. God is sovereign over everything that happens. Think about that for a minute. And we're worried about whether or not we'll be liked by our friends. Or we're worried whether or not the, uh, we'll pay our bills. God created everything. He's in control of everything. Where God dwells, there is security. The people of Israel understood this very clearly because every time they started neglecting God in Jerusalem... They got conquered, they got attacked, they got destroyed, and God would bring in enemy nations to warn them by destroying aspects of their life and take away some of their idols in order to force them to trust back in God. And so when God is with His people, they can't be moved. But when God removes His hand from His people, they get destroyed. And so... The psalmist is emphasizing Jerusalem as a secure place. But not just because God's presence was there. Look at verse 6. Nations rage, kingdoms topple. The earth melts when He lifts His voice. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Nations are destroyed when they throw themselves against the people of God. God is the warrior king who destroys His enemies. He alone is the source of protection. Let's go back to Revelation 22. Keep your finger here in 46. But Revelation 22, which we read this morning, points to another river. Or maybe it's the same river. If you don't know where Revelation 22 is, go to the back of your Bible and turn left. Verse 1 through 2, it says, Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as a crystal. What does that mean? It means it wasn't turbulent. It was calm. Flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the city's main street, the tree of life was on each side of the river, producing 12 kinds of fruits, producing its fruit every month. That sounds like sustenance to me, doesn't it? Spiritual helps and physical helps. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations. 
this imagery of safety is not just for the Jewish people. We could read Psalm 46 as only safety and hope for the Jewish people of what Christ has done. God is with us. What is that? You heard that before? You may want to go back to 46. We don't want to lose it. Have you heard that God is with us? Where have you heard that? Emmanuel, God with us. What do we what do we get from that? That Christ is with us. Christ dwells in us. If you know Jesus Christ, if he is your if he is your savior, if he is your refuge in times of trouble, he dwells within you, which means the city of God is with you. Christ is with you. He dwells in you. Think about that for a minute. This is to me, this is mind blowing. And I had a, I had a whole week to study this, actually a whole month. But I had, I had a lot of time to think about this. So if the psalmist is saying that God is within her, she will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. What does that mean for us as New Testament Christians who have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? who have union with Christ. We have hope. We don't have to do this alone. We can rest in the finished work of Christ rather than these false idols that offer no hope. The people of Israel were prone to turning to other things for safety and comfort. And guess what? We're no different than them because we turn to other things for safety and comfort and hope. So what are you turning to? Spend a few seconds today thinking about what is your refuge and your strength? Where are you turning that is not God in Christ? This, there's a fancy word that we use for when someone is saved. We, we say they're justified. Justification. It's a fancy theological term. Justification. How are you justified before God? And so many people live their life as if they have to justify themselves before man, don't they? They have to make up reasons why they should be liked or make up reasons why or work for some form of being justified before other people. Like when someone looks at you funny in the, um, in the mall because your kid's throwing a tantrum on the floor. And you're looking around like, oh, don't worry, she doesn't do this at home. She's just acting out or she's tired. You know, why are you justifying yourself? Everybody has kids who throw tantrums in the mall. At least I, I hope so because I do. But think about it. We justify ourselves before other people for silly reasons because our refuge isn't in the Lord. God is with us, which means we must respond, right? We can't just know this information. We can't just have head knowledge. We've got to actually put it into action. And that's what we're going to do with these next verses. So verses 8 through 11 talks about his great power and how we respond. Verse 8 and 10 are really about response. Look at verse 8. It says, Come. Automatically, there's a, a verb there, right? Come see the works of the Lord who brings devastation on the earth. So there's two things you got to do in verse 8. Come and see. Verse 10, stop fighting, or some translations say, be still and know that I am God, exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. So what do we got to do? Well, we got to first, we have to come and see, and then we need to be still and know, or stop fighting and know that I am God. So the first thing is invitation. Come. Come to the Lord. Do not stay far off. 
when life gets heavy, why are you pushing God away? Why are you running away from God? Man, why are you not turning to Him in prayer immediately when things go bad? When you see something negative on the news or look at social media, why do you turn to your own hopes and dreams? Or actually, better yet, if you're like me, you kind of mope. I like to mope. I'm a moper. I don't know if that's a thing, but I'll mope. I'll sit there like, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening? Oh, man, not again. Oh, poor me. Oh, my kids, this, or my wife, that. I just sit there and I mope. What am I doing? I'm looking for refuge in myself, and I'm trying to put a little pride in myself and make myself feel good about myself. And I'm not turning to the, the refuge. I'm saying, God, help me. Help me with this woman, right? I love her, but help me with her. God, help me with these children. Lord, I love them, but man, they sure know how to push the buttons, right? Turn to your refuge, your ever-present help in times of trouble. But we turn away from it, don't we? And we turn to ourselves. So he says, come and see. So the first thing we do is we behold who our God is. And that's what Psalm 46 does, right? It paints us a picture of who God is. That's what I love about the Psalms. Over and over and over again, God is in control. God is sovereign. God is the boss. We follow God. We don't follow stupid things. We follow God. I didn't mean to say stupid because that's a bad word at our house. Ungood things. We don't follow bad things, right? We follow God. Stop following idols. Stop putting your hope in things that will not comfort you completely. Stop and know. This word for stop here is translated stop fighting. Really just means stop wiggling. Stop resisting. You ever like grab one of your children and try to put them in a car seat? especially a toddler that doesn't want to be there, that's one of the most aggravating, that's, that's better than a workout. And I do that like three times a day. And you're trying to struggle to get the arm underneath the strap and it's just like this whole thing. And what God is saying is that's who you are when you don't stop and know that he is God. You are that child that's just wriggling like crazy on your own terms. I mean, how often do we go into panic mode when fear happens? We have to call somebody. I have to call the pastor because the pastor will know what to do. Well, guess what? The pastor probably doesn't know what to do. But he knows God, and that's the one he turns to. That's who you should be turning to. Don't call the pastor before you pray. Let's How about that? That's a new rule. New rule for Serious the Baptist. Pray first, then call pastor, okay? Um, that doesn't mean don't call me. It just means you need to spend a second in prayer. Get to know God because you will find that he comforts you. He provides safety for you. He will calm you when nothing else will. He is your strength. The second thing is we recognize that this is the God of armies who is on our side. He is our protection. He's the one that we trust in. We don't trust in ourselves. Verse 9 says, He makes wars cease throughout the earth. He shatters bows and cuts spears to pieces. He sets wagons or chariots ablaze. He completely destroys the weapons of the enemy. He has defeated death. Have you ever watched a bird lay a nest? They put a lot of work into putting up this nest, don't they? They put, they bring in all their twigs and they spend a lot of time putting it up together and then they have their little family in there and then it sits there for a while and then eventually they leave and then they leave a big mess underneath it and everything like that. And what a nest will do, or a bird will do, is they build a nest in a safe place. At least they hope it's a safe place, right? 
How many times have you had to go pressure wash a bird nest off your porch? It's a lot of work. And so what happens once you do that? You get rid of their nest. A lot of times they come right back and they start building again. They don't get the picture. But how many birds will nest in a tree and the tree will fall over and then they go back and build their nest in that same fallen down tree? They're not learning that this is not a safe place to find the rest. But this is what happens with us. We turn over and over and over again to idols. You turn back to those, those, those habits you've developed for comfort. Instead of calling on God, you call your pastor. Instead of calling on God, you say, honey, come in here and fix this. Right? Instead of dealing with your soul and resting your soul in the refuge that you should rest him in, you're like a bird putting your nest right back in the same spot over and over and over again. And it's an exercise in futility. But do, you, but do you notice how easy it is to blind ourselves of that futility? It's easy to numb ourselves. I'm just going to keep watching the news. I don't care how scared I get and how grumpy I get when I watch the news. I'm just going to keep on watching it. That'll be great. I just got to be informed is the word that a lot of men will tell me. Well, I just got to know what's happening. Well, do you know what's happening when you watch the news? You know something that's happening. You don't know what's happening. How are you responding to this vision of God? That's the question that we're going to leave with. Are you coming and seeing and spending time contemplating His great works? Are you stopping and knowing who God is? You don't have to fear. You do not have to live in fear. You don't have to be in fear of the government. You don't have to be in fear of the plague. You don't have to be in fear of financial issues. You do not have to live in fear. Because what good has fear ever done for you anyway? Has your money ever fixed your financial issues? Never. Never does. Have being worried about your children ever brought them back to the way of, of peace and safety? No. So why are you afraid? Do you not trust God? Because that's what the psalmist is basically saying. When we're afraid, we're saying that we don't trust God. What are we putting our hope in? What are you putting your trust in? You may be facing today or nothing compared to the power of God. There's nothing that you should fear compared to the power of God. And that's the call of the gospel. That we live in a world of sin. As, as Terry said, we live under the curse. There is a curse on this world. That's why things don't go well. That's why people get sick and that's why death happens. The world is under a curse. That's why we put our hope in false idols. That's why we fear but we have hope in the one refuge available to us. And the only way to get to God is through Jesus Christ, which is good news. We don't have to go to a temple and we don't have to worship at a temple. We don't have to bring a lamb as a sacrifice. We don't have to go through the ritual cleansing that's required of the Jewish people when they were coming to Jerusalem. All we have to do is go through Christ. So if you don't know Christ, I want you to get to know Him. I invite you to come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's what Jesus tells us in Matthew 11. So why do we sit and wallow in whatever trial or trouble we experience instead of fleeing to the stronghold? The question I want you to ask yourself is will you come to Him today? Will you make it a point this week to come to the true living God and find your hope and rest in Him?
That's my plea for you this week. Father, as we thank you for your mercy and your grace to us. God, we thank you for this psalm that points us, it, it redirects us, it, it realigns our compass, it takes our spectacles and cleans them off and points, them, points us to you, the true and living, holy and mighty God. Father, as we sang, a mighty fortress is our God, only Christians can sing that song. We are only able to sing that song if we belong to the people of God. We can only sing a mighty fortress is our God if that's true. We can only find comfort in it if it's the truth. Lord, if there's anyone in here clinging on to some idol, some form of comfort or joy that is outside of you, I pray that you would destroy it, that you would take that idol from them, and that you would give them hope in you, refuge in you. Lord, get rid of fear from amongst our congregation. Don't let us be afraid of the silliness that so often surrounds our lives. Help us to put our refuge and our hope and our trust in you. For God, you are so great. Lord, I've seen you work in my life in this area over and over and over again. And Father, I pray that I am quick to run to my refuge. Lord, help me not wander far from the rock of ages, cleft for me. God, I pray that you would lash me to the rock, that I would stay with you. Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ, the one mediating atonement that we have the one that brings us into the presence of God and that we can have power through the Holy Spirit to praise your name and that we can have hope and trust and, and, and fully rest in Jesus' name. Lord, we say these things, we ask these things through the power of the Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.